Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 143, One Man's Take on Romantic Comedies, an interview with Rich Amui, coming to you on Thursday, May 16th, 2019. I don't know how many people that you know who write in a genre that is kind of known to be written mostly by one gender or another. So for instance, there's a lot of expectation that romances, romantic comedies included, are probably written by women and read by women. But today's guest loves romantic comedies and he's really good at writing them. And he's a man and he doesn't try to hide that fact. He doesn't go by a female pseudonym and he doesn't try to hide that uh, that he loves them, loves writing them. And uh, when you hear him talking about his wife, you can imagine why he is so good at it. He just seems to have a great handle on love relationship in his marriage. And it apparently just transfers over to being the sort of thing that Rich is good at really good at writing romantic comedies. So hopefully you will have lots of fun listening to um, his take on how he writes and um, the sorts of things that he does. And I'll let you t- I'll let you hear his story from him. Meanwhile, I just want to say I hope you are having as fabulous a spring or fall as I am. It is finally spring here in Sweden. I'm so excited. We have sun. My orchid is blooming like a lot. Literally, did I tell you this yet? The day that I decided this thing was never coming back from the dead and I went over to grab it and put it in the trash with all the trash I was taking out, that was the day that it had little tiny buds on it. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's not really dead. (laughs) And now, oh my gosh, seven of the buds have already bloomed. There's two more that look like they're going to open any day. And then another few that are small that I think are also probably going to open. So I don't know, I feel like it's it's an analogy for spring and new life and taking chances on things. And just when you think that something is really, really over and it's never coming back, maybe it's not over. So if there is any good analogy that's encouraging to you in your writing there, I would take it. Take it and just go, yes, it is not time to quit yet. It is not time to give up on this. (laughs) There is life left. Well, I hope that you are having an excellent day. Uh, Get some writing done. I have been very happily getting just a little bit done, but it's more than I was getting done um, at lunch hours and that sort of thing. And because I promised you that I wasn't going to stop podcasting, then the podcast kind of ends up having to take precedence. But um, it's been good. And because the light is... Uh, covering more hours of the day now here in Sweden. Uh, I never really feel quite well. No. It's funny because of the long uh, amounts of light that we have in our days, I end up feeling more tired in the summertime than the wintertime because I feel like I'm not getting enough sleep. On the other hand, I also feel like I'm more awake like and feeling wakeful for more of the day. So I'm not really sure how that works. <laughs> but it does also make me feel like I might have a little bit more time to um, add some extra writing into the schedule. So you never know. And have you been talking to anybody else about writing with you, either uh, via Skype or via text or Twitter or in person? Because I'm finding that that is working very well for me and some of my coworkers. So give it a try. Remember, uh, John was talking about this a couple of weeks ago as far as different places and times that you can find to write. And um, 
you know what? Lunch lunchtime with other people at my work is working pretty well for me. So keep trying things. Keep finding ways to get more words in. I hope that you have a great week. And here's the interview. Today's guest is Rich Amui. Rich is a former radio personality who now writes romantic comedies full-time in San Diego, California. He is happily married to a kiss monster imported from Spain. Rich believes in public displays of affection, silliness, infinite possibilities, donuts, gratitude, laughter, and happily ever after. Welcome, Rich. Thank you, especially the donuts. I, I love donuts. You know, and I have to say, one of my favorite donut shops is not too far from wherever in the general San Diego area that you live. It's in San Diego County near uh, Mira Mesa, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, you'll have to send me uh, the link to their website so I can go check them out because we love donuts. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And for anybody who's listening in the San Diego area, you'll have to let me know if Donut Touch really can be beat by anyone else because, you know, I'm in Sweden now, so I don't know that we can really have a good conversation about somebody who's better than Donut Touch, but oh man, I love that place. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> are, are there donuts in Sweden? Uh, so... It's, it's also very interesting. You know, you walk into a bakery or the bakery section at a grocery store and you're just looking at a whole bunch of stuff and some of it seems familiar and other things you're like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Uh, um, but I have been to a couple of, uh, let's see, one grocery store for sure and one bakery for sure that did have what looks like kind of American style donuts. Um, I'm not a huge fan. I, I got... I got, I guess, um, tempted to, to try things in new places and then was constantly disappointed that it wasn't what I wanted it to taste like. You have a, th you have a thought in your head about what a donut tastes like. You know. Yeah, so I can, uh, if it makes you feel better, I can FedEx you one. And... Great. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah, um, what they do have, though, I mean, how can I not like a country that has National Cinnamon Bun Day? Ooh, that's good stuff. Yeah, and they really are really, really good. The first one I ate, though, I was like, this is kind of scary. It looks like it has rock salt on top, and why would you do that to a cinnamon roll? Um, and then eventually I realized, I think someone told me, because I couldn't figure out what it was, but it's, um, it's kind of the size of rock salt, but it's sugar. Ah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I could go on and on about food. I, I really, really like food, <laughs> which I really like all the food. There's always somebody eating something interesting in your books. <laughs> true, true. Now, uh, do you have people eating what you like to eat or? Many times. Yeah. In fact, uh, well, in, in my, um, my latest book that just came out, dying to meet you, I put my wife's favorite dish in there, which is chicken tikka masala. Oh, wow. That sounds good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, very tasty. Well, we love Indian food. We love almost any type of food. So, But I try to incorporate uh, food because a lot of the scenes that I have in my books where I have the, the fun dialogue, a lot of those scenes happen in restaurants and in cafes and, and I try to get the characters out. And, and so, yeah, food is usually involved. Yeah. Well, listen, why don't we kind of back up a little bit and start um, earlier in your career? I'm sure that a lot of listeners will be like, 
wait a minute, you're interviewing a man who writes romantic comedies? So because it's probably other people's first question, and I apologize, you've probably gotten this question a thousand times, but tell us about Rich, who decided to write romantic comedies and how, I mean, it's going well for you. So obviously you're good at it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been obsessed with romantic comedies since the 80s, uh, back in the days of When Harry Met Sally and this... Uh, and say anything with John Cusack and just moving forward from there. And just, um, I don't know what, I guess it really comes down to my favorite part of romantic comedies is the dialogue. So you'll probably notice in my books, I have, I have a lot of dialogue because it's a lot of fun for me, the quirky fun, um, dialogue. And that hooked me back when Harry met Sally, that was probably one of the first that I saw. And it was just to have the romance and have the fun dialogue and humor. There's nothing like it. And yeah. I've, I've been a fan ever since. So it's uh, for, for a lot of people in my family and friends, they're not surprised that I write romantic companies, but I guess for a lot of women, since this is a female dominated industry romance, uh, a lot of women are surprised. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing that I think is so interesting when I'm reading your books is that it feels exactly uh, like I'm saying, I'm making sure I say this in the way that is the compliment that I'm intending. Um, it feels and sounds and, and gives you um, the delightful feelings of all the other really good romantic comedies that I love. And yet there's this place where, is particularly when we switch to the male point of view, when it just feels for lack of a better way to say it, I guess more real. Like it really sounds like a man's point of view, which I'm like, this is great. <laughs> I really like it. So that's one of the things that I really like about your books. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, uh, well, and then even in the female point of view, once I'm done, you know, writing it, I, I do run it through several females to make sure I'm nailing that okay and if I need to you know tweak something so you know it's it's just not me I I after I'm done I have beta readers that that help me that go through it and tell me if the things are realistic from the female point of view yeah so um let's see where should we start um how many books do you have out it seems to me it's we're closing in on a dozen are we more than that yeah, uh, this uh, latest is now my 14th, I think. Wow, um, excellent. And I do have a, uh, like a novella short story also. That's not actually published. I just uh, give it away to subscribers of my, uh, my newsletter who are fans who follow me. I, I, I give it to them. So that's not technically published, but it is a romantic comedy that I've written. Yeah. And that's a, that's an excellent marketing kind of uh, direction that we can go in a little bit. So, so the audience is primarily writers of fiction, um, different levels, I would say mostly beginning to intermediate. And, um, I'm always looking for things when 
when you're listening to another writer talk and you're like, oh yeah, or I haven't tried that, or I forgot about that, or how does this person, you know, get through this hard thing or, you know, the sagging middle or the plot hole that you can't figure out. So can you tell us a little bit about your process? Are you a plotter panster or how do you, you've just finished a book, so pretty soon you're going to be starting a new one. How will you go about that? Well, I already started uh, brainstorming and plotting my next one. And I, I start off with just the idea, although this will probably sound weird to you. Sometimes I've come up with titles of books without knowing what the story is about. I just think of a title, like by my fourth book, Mr. Crotchety. Um, that that uh, came to me when I was in line at Starbucks and the woman be, behind me, I heard her talking to another woman and she said, that man sure is crotchety. And I thought, <laughs> I love that word, crotchety. And then I thought of the man, Mr. Crotchety. And I said, hey, that could, that could be a pretty good title. What could I do with that? And that's when I started trying to figure out what could I do with that story? Okay, why is he crotchety? Well, maybe he lost uh, the love of his life. Let's do that. It's the love of his life, his... Uh, his soulmate, and now he's just, he's mad at everybody. And then I kind of just built it from there and then decided, you know what would make him even more pissed off? Why don't I have him meet the happiest woman in the world? Yeah. Just stick her in his face and annoy him. And, you know, eventually they're going to fall in love. But at the beginning, they're going to be butting heads. So I don't know if I actually have a process uh, every single time, the same process, but typically I just have an idea. Like in my, with my latest book, I had this idea of what if I have a woman win the lottery and then she finds out she's going to die. Oh my goodness. So that's the premise of my latest dying to meet you. And, and, I didn't really know what else was going to happen. I just kind of had that idea and I said, okay, now what can I do? And then I start brainstorming and trying to plot. When I started way back in the beginning, uh, well, it wasn't that long ago. It was about four and a half years ago when I started uh, really published my first book. Um, before that, I took some classes at Stanford and some of the classes were writing short stories. And doing that, I didn't plot or outline anything at all. I just, oh. I just wrote. I had an idea, like let's say the Mr. Crotchety idea, something different. And then I just started writing and I, I, I wanted to see where it took me. Now with my books now, I can't do that because I tried that uh, at the beginning and I almost pulled all my hair out because it, it was too mind boggling to have a, a book that was 60 or 70 or 75,000 words and not knowing where it was going and not knowing what was going to happen in the middle or the end. So I couldn't do that with the longer pieces. It worked well with the short stories, but I need to actually sit down and plot the beginning, the middle and the end, the conflict, the dark moment at the end, what's going to separate them when all the hope is lost and people think, Oh no, they're not going to be together. You know, all that. I have to figure that out ahead of time or it'll take me forever to write the book. Yeah. So are you saying that um, you'll literally 
know what all of those steps are before you start writing chapter one or do you start writing chapter one like when you're mostly sure and you're still going to figure out some of it? Um, I probably, I wish I could figure out all of it ahead of time because it would make my life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, I'm not the best at outlining. My wife, Sylvie, she's, a, she's also an author. She has a couple of books, Sylvie Martine. Um, and she's great at outlining. She, she really digs deep, has the backstory of every character all the way back to when they were a child and all the different things in there. She has everything. She has pictures of them, how she visualizes. I wish I could do that, but uh, my brain just can't do that. So a lot of times when I do an outline, I'll have what's going to happen. Let's say chapter one, we meet the hero and then yeah. in his world. Um, whatever he's doing, I introduce a couple of his faults, things that he's dealing with. And then I, at the end, I'll introduce maybe a new situation that comes up that he has to deal with. And then chapter two might be the heroine. Same thing. It's in her world. And I introduce her, things going on, and then something happens. And then typically, not always, in chapter three is when they meet, um, but that's not always the case. Sometimes they meet in the very first chapter um, yeah. and then go from there. So sometimes the outline will only have uh, three or four or five or six sentences about what's going to happen in that chapter. And I don't know everything. Yeah. I, I wish it could be deeper than that, but my brain can't handle it for some reason. Yeah. And, you know, I, I try to remind everybody everybody's different and as you kind of alluded to a lot of times different books will just be written differently and yeah. the one time that i really was like okay i'm gonna totally have this organized and outlined and my agent had some questions about things and, and i'm gonna get it all figured out and i ended up with about 100 or 120 pages of um, outline notes i already know everything that's gonna happen i'm bored already i was like Okay, so after some deep soul searching, I have decided I need to at least be slightly intrigued by not knowing what's going to happen next, like when I'm reading. But I also need, you know, kind of the tentpole areas of knowing where I'm going. Yeah, and, and I think normally when I do it, I don't really have that much information. I just, I mean, I know some of the key conflicts and things that are going to happen in the story, but for the most part, um, I surprise myself many times as I'm writing and I, you know, I think of something in chapter 14 that I want to do, but now I have to go back to chapter one or two and add some things to, so it's connected to what I did there. Um, so there are a lot of surprises and, um, but I admire, uh, people who can really do those detailed outlines that are just full of so much information like my wife she's amazing the way she does it yeah we might have to get your wife on the show to talk about a different way of writing <laughs> she's really good at the outlining yeah cool so uh let's see what else do we want to know well i really want to um let you have a chance to talk about your new book a lot of the times i have authors come on and it's one of the only things we talk about is the new book so why don't you um start wherever you want either with how you came up with the idea or or just tell us about the story or however you'd like to do it so yeah like i said before it was just i i thought of an idea of somebody winning the lottery and then 
there was a good possibility they were going to die. And so it, it gives uh, people a lot to think about. Okay, so what would you do in that situation if you have $500 million oh. and, then, and then all of a sudden, you know, the day you get the check, the doctor says, oh, you have three months to live. Uh, it changes your perspective on a lot of things. So this book was a lot deeper for me. Um, I could, I don't know if you want to know more about the story. I could, uh, okay, here, let me do this. Okay. In a land far, far away. No, just kidding. <laughs> I love it though. <laughs> Is that the back cover so, copy? Um, so I can read the blurb for you if you want. Yeah. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, I'll even do my radio voice for you. Perfect, I love it. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. Liz Parker doesn't like surprises, but winning the lottery isn't something she would complain about. Before she has time to think about how to spend her new fortune, she's hit with an even bigger shock than unexpected wealth. She has three months to live unless she finds a one-in-a-million bone marrow donor. While her medical team scrambles to locate her miracle, Liz throws together a bucket list, charters a private plane, and takes off to see the world. The journey of a lifetime holds even more surprises, including the hunky pilot she's falling for at the most inconvenient time. Will Liz die before she can realize her happily ever after? Or will the universe come through for her one more time? Find out in this humorous tale of true love and adventure. Well done. I think you should hire that voice out. <laughs> hey, maybe I can have a career out of it. <laughs> there you go. All right. I have to say, I was wondering, just because um, radio to me is very cool. I like radio. Um, how did you move from radio to writing romantic comedies? So the, the my radio career, that was like... You know, when you're a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? That was yeah. it. I wanted to be a radio personality, a DJ on the radio, because when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the radio. I had it on 24 hours a day. So when I was young, I think I was, I think I was, let me see, 70, 1970. I was about uh, 12 years old. I knew what I wanted to be uh, for my career. Uh, when I was 12 um, and because I used to go to the radio stations and hang out and just watch watch the DJs on the radio through the bulletproof glass and just go wow that's so cool <laughs> all the music and they're talking and it, they were top 40 top 40 DJs yeah um, so that's what I wanted to do I ended up having a career on the radio for 33 years Wow. And, and so it was a great career. And while I was doing that, one of the, the responsibilities of the DJs when you're on the radio, when you get off the radio, a lot of times you have to record radio commercials. And yeah. sometimes you have to write them, which is uh, what I did for a few years. And so the transition from radio DJ to writing romantic comedies the similarity was I, I started writing a lot of radio commercials and I wrote probably over a thousand. Wow. And my, my favorite radio commercials to write were the, 
the sketches, like the comedy sketches where there are two people talking and then the product appears while they're talking and then they live happily ever after. So yeah. with that product. And so my wife heard one of my commercials and it was a, it was a comedy sketch radio commercial and she loved it. And she said, this is amazing. You should, you should write fiction. You should take some, some writing classes. And at the time she was taking writing classes at Stanford university. So I decided, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I took four writing classes over the course of a couple of years. And in one of those classes where I was writing the short stories, she read one of my short stories and said, this is amazing. You need to turn this into a novel. And I was like, how am I going to do that? <laughs> uh, to turn, you know, 5,000 words into 75,000 words. Yeah. But uh, I did it. That ended up being my first novel, uh, which is called Five Minutes Late. And that's how, that's how it all started uh, for me going from radio to writing romantic comedies. That's excellent. And you know what? I'm sure that there are people listening who are thinking, okay, so, so I may well be on the path that I'm supposed to be on, even though it seems like the beginning and the end I want to be um, are too disparate and, and like this couldn't possibly be the right path. But who knows what you might be writing that would lead you to a place where more words down on the page, you just get better and better and better at writing until somebody says, this is it. This is the thing that you're really good at right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. And it's, you know, you've probably heard a thousand times and everybody else that the most important thing is sitting down and writing because you can talk about writing and you want to write and you can say, maybe I don't have time to write. But, you know, I know an author who, who was a, a truck driver, uh, Wayne Stennett, and he, uh, he was on the road 70 hours a week driving yeah. his truck and he had his laptop and his truck with him. And anytime he stopped, he would write. And now he's a full-time writer. He's uh, making more than most authors I know. And um, I don't know how many books he has now. He must have like 15 or 18 books. I'm not sure, wow. um, but he's doing really well. And if he can find time to write working 70 hours a week, you know, it, even my wife, she's a full-time Spanish teacher. And when she comes home after teaching all day, she has to correct tests. She has to, to plan lessons for next week. She has to do all kinds of grading and stuff. And she still finds time to, she's published two books over the last few years. So if she can do it, if Wayne can do it, pretty much anybody can do it. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And I agree with you from the standpoint of uh, having been in the place where I'm doing it and it's working and having been in the place where I'm not doing it. And shockingly, it's not working. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I've heard this from a, lot, I, I, from a lot of people that say, I just don't have the time. I have, I have two kids and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm either... I'm a full-time parent or I'm working full-time and then I have the kids. I, I don't have time to do it. Um, and typically if you, if you analyze their schedule, there, there usually is a little spot somewhere. Maybe those two hours at night when you're watching TV. Well, that's two hours you could be writing. So it's all about priorities. 
really, and, and discipline. And yeah. I'm not saying it's 100% the same way for everybody, but usually if you really analyze things, you know, okay, is watching TV more important than writing? But I know some people, they need that TV to disconnect from their stressful life, and, but maybe they can exchange the television watching for writing. Yeah, yeah. And even, um, even partial breaks, uh, partial, uh, doing, uh, I, I am a huge TV and movie fan. <laughs> I've already seen Avengers Endgame twice. I saw it twice in the first week. <laughs> um, and, uh, and John and I watch a fair amount of TV, though I have to say that it was a lot easier to um, bring the number of hours down to a more reasonable level after we gave up uh, TV watching entirely for Lent this year. That was painful and it made me realize how much we watched. But we got to a place where we were like, okay, one hour a day. And then we got to a place where we were like, okay, on these two nights a week, no TV, we go right to the writing. Um, so we, we like talking about the stories that we're watching together. So I'm not saying that it's... Um, that it's research or that it's writing related exactly, but, um, but we enjoy talking about the stories and what we think is going to happen next and that sort of thing, which is great for all of a sudden, I mean, you can see it in the other person's eyes. This might happen with you and your wife too, since you're both writers. You see that their eyes just kind of go glassy for a minute and you're like, they just had an idea for something <laughs> in their own writing. <laughs> yeah, and my my wife is great to to brainstorm with when I'm going over thinking of these the stories. She's also my alpha reader, so she reads everything that I write first, gives me a ton of feedback with track changes in the Word document, and then I go through it and make so many changes, and then that's when it goes to my beta readers. So I have different levels of people reading my stuff to to help me out um, because I can't do it on, by myself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's pretty true for most writers today, especially um, we can come back to this in a minute. Um, you have self-published all of your books, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back to business and self-publishing and marketing and stuff in a minute. But um, one of the other things now, you've got um, a, a, one stack of books on your desk for people who are not watching on YouTube, another stack on the, uh, on the couch behind you. And these are, these are all your books. I recognize some of the covers. <laughs> so um, where was I going with that? <laughs> I do this all the time. It's evening in my time. My brain's already been working for a while. Sometimes it makes it hard <laughs> to uh, remember. What was I saying? Um, but the voice that you have in romantic comedy, I mean, it's genuinely um, just, it makes you laugh and smile and feel light and happy. It's not, um, it's not forced. It seems like it probably comes relatively naturally for you. So what would you say to people who either are writing something with humor, want to write something with humor? Do you have any advice for finding that spot for each person? Um, well, I don't know if I would say it comes natural and it's always easy because sometimes uh, you know, I think with any writer, you have those days where it's just not coming out of you and you're, you're trying, you know, you want to write 2000 words and you end up writing 300 because, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things where it's driving you crazy. So the, the dialogue I would say is probably the easiest part for me because 
I'm, when I'm doing the dialogue, I don't want it to be one-sided usually with somebody dominating, you know, whatever it is, the point of view. So when I'm writing dialogue, I, let's say the guy says something, and then now I put myself in her spot and, okay, what's the best comeback that she could have right now this, uh, to put him in his place? Okay, now what's the best comeback he could have to go, you know, and I go back and forth and, but most of the stuff comes from when I'm writing, it comes, I, I try to torture my characters as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's where I usually get more humor. Um, so when I'm writing, I say, uh, for any given scenario, let's say they're in here and we already know this character's flaws and what they are trying to avoid uh, because it brings them pain uh, whenever they think about it or do it. Uh, so I try to stick that in their face um, because I want to bring them, I want to make them uncomfortable. Um, that's one of the things I probably would do the most when, and, and I can get away with more of it in writing romantic comedy because it, it could, it makes it more humorous uh, when I look at it and say, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen to him right now? Okay, let's do it. And then uh, putting them in an uncomfortable position, typically I can get a lot of humor out of that. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, you also have lots of situations in your books where the characters are experiencing things that the rest of us consider difficult situations. Um, all sorts of different, I, I'm thinking about Mr. Crotchety because that's what we were talking about and, and it's one of your stories I'm most familiar with. I don't know if it was the last one I read or, but it's in my head. So, um, but um, some of the things are simpler problems that we all experience. But then with your new book, I mean, somebody's just told that she has three months to live. That's that's a big serious idea, and yet you found a way to bring serious ideas into romantic comedies or have you found ways to um, bring romantic comedy into serious ideas? Do you have any idea how you've been working it through in your head? This was one of the hardest books I, I wrote uh, just because of the subject. It's about life and death and, you know, to, to weave in humor in there was not easy uh, when a person thinks they're going to die. So yeah. it was not easy for me, really. There, it was a very, very difficult book to write. But once I was done, it, it just really came together well. And it's still, still people um, hearing from beta readers um, that it, it, was, um, it was still humorous but it was, it was a deeper book for me. Um, Mr. Crotchety was probably one of those too, because it deals with, uh, you know, when you're dealing with cancer, uh, you know, that's one of the yeah. worst words in, in the English language um, to just to say it, it's just, uh. Uh, so to write a romantic comedy, then that's the, in Mr. Crotchety, cancer is, is the theme that runs through there. It's not an easy thing, but uh, from what I've heard that uh, it worked out okay and it was received well. But uh, yeah, some of the deeper subjects, like you know, death, is uh, it's not easy to, to weave the, the humor in there. 
Yeah. So, so as we segue a little bit from uh, the writing itself to business, um, let's see if you have uh, particular thoughts on these two questions. Um, do you, have you done any research to see if your books with uh, deeper themes have done any better or worse, or if the most light of your books have done better or worse than the others now that you have more than a dozen out? I don't know if you've looked into it. Um, I mean, when I look at, let's say, Mr. Crotchety, that's up until now that my with my latest book, Dying to Meet You. Mr. Crotchety was probably my deepest book because it did the theme of cancer was in there. I mean, unless it's not a book about cancer and there's not right. cancer all over the place, but if somebody in one of the characters or two of the characters have to deal with it, it's in there. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is that would. Uh, that was one of my deepest books, I would say, that was a little more emotional, even though it was a romantic comedy. Coincidentally, it's my highest rated book. Um, so I'm not sure what that means. People, yeah. people love to laugh, but they still like a little drama. My wife says that, hey, you're, you know, you got 95% women reading your books. Most women love drama. Uh, but when you're when you're when you have romantic comedies most people like to laugh too so you have to really balance it out um, yeah so but then i have my second book dog day wedding which is probably my the my romantic comedy that's most over the top um and and that one's rated pretty well too and has has a lot of people that a lot of people love that book but it's it's the closest I've come to being over the top with my humor, uh, with some crazy situations in it. But it still has done well. So, yeah, I don't know. it I could don't really be know how to answer that. Yeah, and it may be that um, what you're finding is um, uh, closer to two different sides of the bell curve of your average reader. You know that the, here's the group of people who all like your stories. This particular group of them like them when they have this serious element that's being dealt with. This particular group happens to like them more when it's like all like Lucille Ball over the top, or or however you would describe it. So it could be just that, maybe. Yeah, I, I guess that's possible. I, I mean, the main thing to to keep in mind that even with a more serious topic. Um, it is a romantic comedy and it's still in my voice. Yeah. So it's, it's still going to have a lot of the same feel to it, even though the topic could be a little bit uh, deeper. Yeah. And so that moves into the other question that I wanted to bring up because um, as a self-published writer, you have made an excellent business decision to write one genre, which a lot of people mm. don't. Either they had three or four different books in the drawer that they'd been sending out to agents over the years and then finally thought, I'll just, you know, start my own business and, and do this myself. But now they've got three or four books, not in a series, maybe not in the same genre. But you have done it in the way that um, is most likely to work at this point in time. It's 2019. So over the last five years, having a genre that is what you're known for so that you can gather the most amount of all the same type of reader instead of trying to split it up among a couple audiences. This is what generally works best for people. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, was it a business decision that you also made or did you kind of fall into it or how did that happen for you? 
No, it wasn't really a decision. It's just I love romantic comedies and I wanted to write them. It was it was really that it was really that simple. It wasn't a thing that, hmm, I wonder what I should do. People suggested some people, especially even more recently, suggest that I should get into writing cozy mysteries um, because there's a lot of humor in them, you know. Uh, and I thought about it, but I love. I love the romance and, you know, all my books are standalones. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people write in series and I've thought about writing a series. I, I think I agree with most people when they say that if you write a series, you could probably build a bigger audience faster with a series. So I, I kind of see that's, that's a valid point, but when I go to the movies to watch a romantic comedy, typically I don't, I don't want to see sequels and typically the sequels right. are not as good as the originals. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not, I mean, there are plenty of authors who have amazing series with, uh, you know, eight, 10, 12 books and they're all amazing, but I don't know if I can do that. And I don't know if I want to, because I enjoy, yeah. I enjoy stand. I like stories from scratch with all brand new characters that you've never seen before. Um, and so I really, I enjoy that. But that being said, yes, I'm all hundred percent romantic comedy, but I do have a book that I'm starting to work on. That's completely different than anything I've done. Um, yeah and it's uh, women's fiction and it's based on the life of my mom wow so it's and there's a lot of drama there's no romance in it so it's something completely different that i've been wanting to do for a while and it's going to be one of those stories um you know where you'll see inspired by a true story or based on a true story but it'll be written uh, it'll be fiction but it's, nice. it'll be, it, it will be the story of my mom's life, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Oh, that sounds really cool. Now, does your I'm mom have, yeah. Does your mom have any of your sense of humor? So will we see some of that? There's not going to be any humor in it. Wow. Really straight. Yeah. Women's this, fiction. this is a, this is a drama. My, 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 uh, my, uh, my mom's life you know, up until a certain time was complete chaos and drama, especially with us three kids and so many things that she went through. So that story needs to be told. Uh, it, it's going to be very, there's plenty of drama, but it's very inspirational. It's going to be very inspirational for, for a lot of women. Nice. Oh, wow. Excellent. That's great. Now, that's not the next book that you're talking about that you started brainstorming, though. You're, you're currently beginning to work on another romantic comedy? Yeah, it's called, um, it's not PMS, it's you. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's, uh, that's my next one. That will be coming out later in the year. Um, so I'm working on that right now, yeah. Excellent. Now, that was another thing I noticed that you said uh, about four and a half years and 14 books. So do you have any advice for listeners on... Um, do you think that speed has to do with uh, the number of hours that you put in during the day or just each individual book is different or you just chose that you were going to have a certain set of deadlines for yourself or? I, I always start off giving myself a deadline. 
um, think, or, or let's say maybe it's not even a deadline. It's just more of a goal. I want to write this book in three months. Um, or I want, I want to write this book before the end of the year or, or whatever the, the goal is. Um, so it really depends on the book because I had two books. Um, you're familiar with NaNoWriMo, mm -hmm. um, yep. write, writing the, the book 50,000 words or is it 50,000 words? Yeah. Um, in, in a month. Um, so my second book, the one that was the over the top romantic comedy that got crazy. I wrote that in one month during NaNoWriMo. Nice. And it's, uh, I think it's like 60 something thousand words. Um, one of my, one of my favorite books that I've written just because I love over the top comedy crazy. I used to watch the movies, uh, Naked Gun and Airplane way back in the day. And I love those movies so much. So I wanted to do something a little more over the top. Um, so Dot Day Wedding, that was one of them. And I wrote that in a month. Um, but then the, I had a period where it was almost a year before I published that, the next book. So I do set goals and sometimes they come out of me fast and sometimes um, it's painful. You know, you want it to come out and it's taking forever. And yeah, you know, I, I'm trying to remember one of my books. I don't remember which one it was that I had a six week period where I didn't write a single word. Oh, wow. And it was torture. Um, and, and, there, and it came down to, um, where we talked about outlining. Yeah. I had a very, very, very thin outline for that book, especially the part where I started slowing down. I hardly had any information and it killed my momentum and, uh. um, and my writing. So there was actually a point, um, after a few weeks that I just said, okay, I'm just going to take a break. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to set it aside and focus on other things and then finally um it came to me what i had to do i wouldn't call that really writer's block it was more of just i didn't know which direction i wanted to go in and it paralyzed me yeah. so it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't that it wasn't that I didn't know what to write. It was like I had three or four options of which way I wanted to take the story and I couldn't make a decision on which way I wanted to go. So it just, it paralyzed me and I just left it. And yeah. uh, that's why I prefer to have everything down in an outline and I know which way I'm going. And if I, if I have to make a little tweak in a certain direction, it's going off a little bit, that's okay. But I basically know which way I'm going. Right. And obviously, um, knowing how your brain works best, <laughs> that's the way that that's always my advice for people. Like if you are not having um, things are not working out, try somebody else's way, try somebody else's way. I must have tried probably 10 or 12 different, you know, pieces of advice um, in, in literally the, the sitting down and deciding what to put on the page, um, whether it was uh, writing in a notebook first or uh, doing a detailed plot or uh, staring at a blank wall until it came to me or, you know, I would try everybody's idea. And so then I would find things that worked for me. So um, 
like when, when we're talking and, and knowing that there are listeners listening, I'm always looking for, for things I can do to encourage them that if you've got a way that's working, definitely that's the way you should do it. And it sounds like you found your way that works for you. Yeah. And it, it's like you said, it's different for everybody. So I can't, I can't sit here and give advice to somebody and say, you really, really need a deep, thorough outline with backstory on every character and you need to know everything about them you know all of the things they've gone through in high school and as a child and in college and you know every relationship they ever had no that doesn't work for everybody it really doesn't um, some people can just sit down and say okay this is a guy who who lost his job and he's been through two divorces and um, now uh, something else happens and boom, that's, that's all they need. Uh, yeah. Where, and other people need it uh, a lot more information. So yeah, you're right. There's a, there's not one system that works for everybody. And so one of the other things that um, I wanted to just sort of reiterate uh, as sort of advice for listeners is you wrote what you really wanted to write and you were good at it because you really wanted to write it. And my guess is those things come together to help create a successful career. Would you agree that that is probably advice that a lot of people may be able to take? I think so. I mean, I do know some, art, uh, some authors who write to market, so they're just looking for the latest trend. And they're, they have the brain, the capacity to actually sit down and switch genres and write something that appeals to somebody in a completely different genre. But that's not the norm. Most, most authors cannot do that. And uh, a lot of times they're making a mistake when they do it. It's, uh, I, I like to think that you should write what you're passionate about and what you really feel the most. Um, but I can't say that that business advice would work for everybody because I've seen other authors who can just completely switch genres and write something different and they're, they're successful. They're doing well at it, but yeah. that's not something I can do. I, I think it's a, uh, I think it's easier if you focus on one thing, especially if you're good at it and just focus on that. Um, I've also heard advice you, you, where people say, write what you know. Um, and I can see that that could be valid advice as well. I know a lot about weddings. <laughs> so typically, you know, I was a wedding DJ as well. So, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and now, and now I actually switched over. I started, uh, I'm a wedding officiant now. So I, in fact, I was, uh, I just wrote a ceremony script that was kind of more of a romantic comedy ceremony script. And I, I married them last weekend here in San Diego. Oh my gosh. And, and it was a lot of fun. And because they allowed me to add humor to the ceremony, um, the guests just ate it up. They were laughing. They loved it. And it was different than your average cookie cutter wedding ceremony. Where yeah. much when you go to a wedding, you hear all the same quotes, all the same things. A lot of weddings are boring. Um, yeah. Which is hard for me to say because I love weddings. 
Um, but a lot of times people don't put a lot of thought into the ceremony. They just do the, the typical average generic vows and, and everything. So um, anyway, I'm getting off course here, but my, my point is that writing what you know, um, I do have a couple of books coming up where, uh, for instance, my second book, Dog Day Wedding. Yeah. That's all, you know, the biggest scene in that book, which lasts like maybe five chapters <laughs> or longer is the main wedding. Um, and I can write weddings, wedding scenes very well because I have so much experience in weddings. There are yeah. people who know how to knit very well and know how to, you know, do, know how to cook very well. Well, you can write romances that are all surrounded around chefs. Or, right. And so writing what you know can be valuable advice for a lot of people, I think. Great. I love it. I have to say that um, as a former accountant, it was a little trickier for me to make that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Are there? Uh, have you read any romances where the the lead, the hero, or the heroine are accountants? Um, so I've seen Hallmark movies and that style of movie that will do it. You know, uh, because then the the one of them will be very you know uptight and you know buttoned up and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah. so some of the comedy comes from that. But um, I can't right off the top of my head think of a book. That has one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, and I think you notice, we notice a lot of trends too, especially with Hallmark movies, because we watch all of the Hallmark movies um, yeah. all year round. And uh, and you see the trends that, you know, how many times are, is is the, the female going to be uh, a baker? Uh, you know, whether it's cookies or cupcakes. Um, yeah, chocolate. It's very, yeah, it's very, very, in fact, yeah, we just watched one couple of weeks ago where it was all about chocolate. Uh, and so I guess there are a lot of standbys when it comes to romance. And maybe it's because those are those, the glamorous professions a lot of people dream of doing. Wouldn't it be cool to be to bake cupcakes for a living? Yeah. Or, uh, or be a florist or a lot of florists all in, right, uh, yeah. in romance. And but one thing I think I'm going to get away from, uh, and it's very it's very common in Hallmark movies, is you know one or both of the parents died, and so I'm, I'm trying to get away from like like now that I wrote about death, this is the most I wrote about death and dying to meet you. Yeah. I think my next four or five books, nobody's going to die anywhere <laughs> yeah. because. I'm, I need to get away from that for a while because, it, it, like I said, it was hard to write Dying to Meet You. And yeah. I, I need a break from death. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny. That's um, one of the things that sometimes you forget is that your own life experiences are influencing the kinds of characters that you're picking without you fully realizing it. Like you think of it as being somebody, no, totally different from me. Um, and then I noticed, oh my goodness, I don't remember. Um, it's probably before I was publishing anything. Uh, just, you know, when I was just first writing up stories and stuff. And I was like, this is so interesting. Like none of these characters have parents. 
<laughs> but you know, I'm a product of a single parent household. My husband is, and um, and we don't live near our parents. We're um, not super duper close in the way that you would see in a Hallmark movie. And so it, I just was never writing about anybody's families. I was writing about their best friends, you know, and their neighbors and that sort of thing because that was the life that I realized that I was living. I didn't live near any family, and I wasn't. Uh, I didn't have a Hallmark you know, kind of family. So of course mm -hmm. I wasn't writing it. And then at one point I was like, okay, you're just going to have to stop and write it. And so, oh my gosh, I've got this huge family tree for my superhero books. I know who's married to whom and who's pregnant and who's having kids. And, and yes, no one has died in that book. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So um, we probably should uh, wrap up the interview. It's always so fun talking to other writers and hearing, um, you know, similarities and differences. Uh, did, did you have anything else on your mind that you're like, oh, I wanted to share this little piece of advice too, or anything like that? Um, no, I don't think so. I can't think <laughs> okay. of it at the moment. Good, good. Well, that's all right. Um, you certainly have um, a lot of things that people could uh, read for inspiration and research if they were like, okay, well, how do you write so many different romantic comedies, you know, not in a series or a different standalone book. So I encourage people to go and, and check out Rich's books. I have several of them on my Kindle. And let's just give another plug for the new one that uh, at the time that this is released has just been uh, out for a few days. Yeah, it's called Dying to Meet You. And Excellent. so that's, um, yeah, that, that's the latest. And then you'll, you'll find it on Amazon. All my books are on Amazon. So if you just, uh, if you uh, have difficulty uh, spelling my last name, just look up Dying to Meet You or any of my other books, Kiss Me in the Snow or Kissing Frogs is uh, one that... Uh, that if you look at, you'll see all my all my uh, covers are illustrated. I have an artist in England who who uh, does them all, uh, so you'll see the colorful colors. I really uh, like your covers. covers. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> nice, excellent. And if people want to follow you, find out more about you, sign up for your newsletter, where can they find you? So my website is my name richamui.com, and like I said, good luck spelling that. But I can spell it if you'd like, A-M-O-O-I. Uh, but if you want to, uh, if you look up one of my books, you'll, you'll track me down online and you can find me that way. Excellent. Rich, thanks so much for taking the time. I know that you have a busy schedule getting this book out and, and all the promotion that goes along with it. And then you started brainstorming your next one. So we really appreciate the time. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.